Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. Hey, just a couple things before we get going today. We have a lot of new listeners who've joined us over the past couple of months. First of all, welcome to all of you. Many of you found us through the NPR Podcast Network, but however you got here, we're really glad that you are. If you have any questions about the English language, about things that are bothering you or you just don't understand, please feel free to pass them along. We'll do our best with each and every one of them. Also, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to tell your friends. And also, if you can go to your podcast app, whether that's Apple Podcasts or whatever else you might be using, if you have the option to leave us a review on that app, that really does help us. It bumps us up in visibility. And so more people can find us. We also have a large archive at this point. This episode you're about to hear today is episode 115. So there's plenty to go back through if you'd like to. Also, with today's episode, there happened to be just a tiny little problem. We had some recording issues, and so I had to move to a backup recording for this episode. And it sounds like a backup recording. It's a little bit rough around the edges. It shouldn't hurt your enjoyment of the episode, but it's there. It's a little bit rough. Just wanted to acknowledge that before we get started. I think that's it. Okay, let's do it. Nuclear. Now, was it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. On our last episode, we, I guess, looked a little bit into the future, sort of, uh, and we talked about Gen Z slang. Now we're going to look back into the past and talk about some old slang that maybe has stuck around or maybe has faded into the ether. We started looking more into slang in general, and there's this lot of slang words we discovered that people think are relatively new, Mm -hmm. but they're not. And a linguist, um, Arnold Zwicky, calls it the recency illusion. And it's the feeling that because you're using it now, it must, it's kind of new. It's, it's, it's the things that you only recently noticed must be recent, but it's not really recent. They actually have a history behind them. And one problem with the recency illusion when it comes to slang is that slang is not only ephemeral, a lot of times it's not, I mean, it's not really written down a lot. And now it is more than it used to be. But a lot of slang words are seen as somewhat, you know, yeah, sketchy. So you may not say them or you may not write them. So therefore, you may not be aware that it actually was in existence. So without further ado, Catherine, why don't you introduce the first word? Okay, now, Fletcher, what we're going to ask you is decades. The word is booze. Did that generate from the 1920s, the 1850s, or the 1500s? Okay. The knee-jerk reaction is to say 1920s, right? Because that was a really boozy era. Uh, I want to go all the way back to the 1500s, though. Excellent, Fletcher. It seems to go back to the 1500s. Interestingly enough, in the 1500s, it was also written as B-O-U-Z-E, and it was pronounced bows which is sort oh of weird. well that is weird i was i was about to think okay that that sounds kind of french maybe i mean that would make more sense b-o-u-z-e booze uh but it was bows okay forget about all that I have this b-o-u-s-e 
I have B-O-U-Z-E in etymology.com. I don't know. Ah! Well, definitely there's something we know about that time period is that spellings were all over the place, right? Oh, right. yeah. But, and also the final S a lot of times in English can be with a, a, a Z sound. But it comes from the Middle English, B-O-U-S, intoxicating drink from the 1300s. And from they think it comes from the Middle Dutch, B-U-S-E, drinking vessel with a verb busen to drink heavily <laughs> wow there's a there's a lot more to that than i realized <laughs> yes. that's so funny yeah because booze to me i i thought like you fletcher i mean immediately you, you go 20 so you go it can't be the 20s right it's too obvious right exactly but yeah i mean i would never have realized but then when you hear the dutch and everything you think, okay i mean although how much beer haha never mind um yeah <laughs> no <laughs> it, it, it that one got me actually the other thing I liked, it said, and it's probably not the case, since it had been spelled a lot with the S, that some say that the, the, the spelling with the Z might have gotten more popularized because there was a distiller in Philadelphia in the 1800s whose name was E.G. Booz, B-O-O-Z. But that, that seems kind of like far-fetched. A little. Don't send us angry letters, Philadelphians, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also, wasn't there a big uh, consulting firm, Booz Allen? Actually, I just thought. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah! I forgot about that back in the day. They're still around. Not not back in the day. They're still around. <laughs> Their stock price. It's a recency illusion, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, but, though, the big thing for booze, I just have to say, even though it might have been used back in the 1500s, the, using it the way we use it for an alcoholic drink, kind of like slangily, is mainly from the 1850s on. Oh, okay. Yeah, what, but I mean, it has been around before then. Do you know what happened around then? Why did it start becoming a, a slangy term that we use around the 1850s? The one question, that that goes back to what Kathy just said earlier about the uh, Philadelphia distiller. Some people are suggesting maybe the use of the noun was, was uh, from, that, from that individual. I mean, who knows? But Johnson, we have another thing of Johnson's Dictionary saying that he had a drink called Rambo's which is wine, ale, eggs, and sugar. And then you so, have, like, yeah. in, in 1736, I'm just looking right now, the Dictionarium Britannicum had booze, B-O-U-Z-E, says, with the vulgar, um, any yes. sort of strong liquor. So it's clear that it's been around. It's gone around the block. Uh, ben Franklin had it in 1722. Boozy is a synonym for drunk. So, from, from what yeah, I understand about Ben Franklin, he had a lot of it. I was going to say, he'd know, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't he? <laughs> so I, I think we're... I wouldn't have minded, like, lifting a few with him. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think quite a few people did. So, <laughs> so basically, we were talking about hanging out with Ben. <laughs> yes, so yes, that's yeah. a, now that, was, that was a really good segue, Ross. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So that now, sounds so have, surprised. <laughs> would we have hung out with people like Ben or in the 1810s, in the 1950s, or going backwards to the 1930s? It feels like a real 1950s thing, doesn't it? So again, that doesn't seem like it would be the right answer. But but I don't want to go all the way back to the 1810s. So let's go to the 1930s. You should have gone back to the 1810s. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. This one I love was that John Keats, the poet, who, who was big, apparently big on slang, talked about, said, said that hanging out was like stopping at the tavern. So like, I'm hanging out tonight with the guys. I'm mm -hmm. going to the pub. Wow. Why hanging out? 
The one thing I'm sort of wondering about is colloquially hang out also would refer to like hanging out a sign or a shingle to indicate one shop or business from that was from 1811. So I'm half wondering, nah, I don't know. I'm just half wondering. That's an interesting if, one though. You're, you're picturing the, the, the swinging. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I just like yeah. a spotted calf or something. Exactly. Well, so you could go to the hangout and then you would be hanging out. I, I don't know. I'm wondering. Cause I would, I mean, yeah, obviously we're just sort of throwing darts at whatever right now, but I would have thought that calling something a hangout would have come after the verb hanging out. To hang, but, yeah. But, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if you were going to the hangout, then you would be hanging out. Maybe it came the other way around. I don't. It really got me when Kathy said, she said the bar and the swinging yeah. uh, sign, because that's extremely evocative. Isn't it? We get we right? pictures of England and you see like, you know, the, you know, the old tavern with the sign hanging. So I gut feel, I think it did come from that. <laughs> wow. That's not scientific. Yeah, yeah no. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm just looking, okay, as a noun, a hangout, uh, the thing right here just says from 1893, but they have it, you know, which doesn't make sense earlier, a feast, not hanging out. I think I'm I'm going with the sign hanging. I really am. I mean, there's no way of knowing. Again, we go back to the problem with slang is we have no, I mean, language in general is hard enough, but this one is just, you know, we're never going to know. Okay, now, now okay, because right here I have two examples. There's Pickwick Papers, Dickens, mm-hmm. 1836. A character says, I say, old boy, where do you hang out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So the, I'm, I'm picturing the... You can't see what I'm doing. I just realized I'm like swaying like the sign. That that doesn't help, does it? (laughs) But trust me, it looked good. But I I think it does make sense to me. You're going where it hangs, the sign hangs. Then from there, you you know quickly move into we're hanging out there too. I don't know. That seems to make sense. I like. Although I'm thinking like there's so much hangout to dry, hangout to whatever. Could it be something like that? I mean, I'm I'm thinking of like you know uh, phrases that I hadn't thought of. Shall we move along? This whole conversation is making me want to puke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the word is puke, as you may have guessed. 1860s, 1610s, 1910s. All right, now you got me, you got me with my head spinning a little bit now because obviously I have no idea. So I'm trying to game out the options you've given me here. Uh, but I, I, I'm i going to go far back again and say 1610s. 1610s. The first thing they have in the OED as a noun is from 1612 um, from G. Chapman. And it says, as a nurse laboring, a wayward child bears with his pukes, P-E-W-K-S, and cries. Oh, that's cute. That's much cuter, isn't it? P-E-W-K-S. Yeah, I like it. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's not as yeah. smell as much, but it's P-E-W-K. <laughs> the question I have, though, is the noun came after the verb, right? Because it came for like spuking or something like that. Is that correct? Um, I have it back and forth now. I, I found a lot of wrong things where they said that puke didn't become a noun until 1961, which is not true. Because as I just said right there, oh, no. Yeah, no, that was a noun and it was from 1612. Because the question I've got is then I have another case here, a noun, 1737, a medicine which excites vomiting as the first usage here. 
And then I have another use as a colloquial U.S. as being material thrown up by vomiting is much later. So I'm really, this one is a really confusing one. So I think if Fletcher answers any of those numbers mm -hmm. and dates, it's fine. <laughs> so. Well, I have puking as a verb, the act, the action or an act of vomiting. I had a puke. Is that 1612? And that's all, mm -hmm. the, all the examples in the, OE, uh, in the OED, the initial ones are EWK, which is adorable. Um, yeah. Matter thrown up from the stomach vomit um, is uh, the first one in the OED is 1705. And then the first taking a puke uh, as in an emetic, I have, or is it emetic? I never knew how to pronounce it. I always said emetic, but whatever. Uh, I always did too. So it just gets less and less adorable as time goes on, doesn't it? It does, yes. doesn't it? Then I have U.S. slang in 1834, a native or inhabitant of Missouri, usually yeah. derogatory. Mm. <laughs> I have that too. I have that one too. The, uh, eight, uh, the 1930, uh, whatever, 1835, I mean. Wow. Yeah, I have his. I have his 1835. Let's be accurate here. That's I have 1834, true. September 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard this. They also have a slang in the U.S. originally as an unpleasant or disgusting person. You are a puke, sir. I have never heard that in my life. You've never heard anybody called a puke? I mean, I've heard that. It seems like Valley Girl type slang. I've heard it. I've heard it too. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, maybe Fletcher and I, maybe there's something about Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have never been called a puke? I don't know. <laughs> now, where, did the, where did the word come from? You started to say something like spuken or something? Well, Possibly related to the Dutch spugen I have. Yeah, and then the German as well. Spuen, et cetera. Spuken. Well, I can't pronounce it. Spuch, spuen. Spuen or something. <laughs> Both for the Dutch and German forms and, you know, taking that. And it usually but, meant to spit or to spew. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Definitely. I never knew the word, I'm sorry, we should move on, but pukishness, I want to bring back. It's, it, I like it, that It's word. very obsolete. Uh, I know. It's a tendency That's a good to word. puke or queasiness. I like that. Yeah. I'm just like troubled with pukishness by this Although conversation. Although actually, to be honest with you, I don't like the word. I, I, I'm one of those people who I don't like to look at vomit or anything like that. So it just sort of bothers me. <laughs> well, that's it. how odd, Ross. Yeah. No, but, <laughs> you no, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, if it's a, if it's in a film and someone's like, you know, vomiting, I, I don't even like thinking about, you know what I mean? With that. So I don't like the word. I can't so you it. say vomit? You don't say puke? I say vomit. Uh, I'm like one of those people who gets like, if someone else is nauseous, I get nauseous. This is that funny. Sort of uh, we have so many words for it, don't we? I don't say puke. I don't, I mean, I do say vomit sometimes. Um, I, I think what I use more than anything, though, is throwing up. Yeah. Throwing I up. I say throwing up. Yeah. I, I have said puke. But Adrian, I just looked up. We do have a lot. We have vomit, throw up, retch, cough up, bring up, regurgitate, heave, gag, be sick, get sick. Chuck up, hurl, and spew very much like the original. And if you're a if you're a baby, you spit up. Yeah. And you spit up. Keck. Does anyone say keck? Barf, I remember. Barf. barf yeah, barf. barf. Eve chunks. Up chuck. Oh God, this is getting disgusting. You hurl, know. Hurl. Did you already say hurl? Hurl. Yeah. Blow chunks is hard. I'm getting <laughs> nauseous <laughs> thinking of it. <laughs> All right. Let's move. Let's move on here. The next one is interesting. It's ginormous. And this one really got me because Kathy suggested we put the word in. Mm -hmm. And I objected. I said, no one says ginormous. I went downstairs 
And literally like two minutes later, my wife said ginormous. So I thought, yes. well, I guess a lot of people say it or something. I hear ginormous far more than I hear either enormous or gigantic combined. Yeah, apparently it's all, I've been, I got very sensitized to it. I must be hearing it, but not processing it. Anyway, let's process it now. Ginormous comes from the 1960s, the 1930s, or the 1740s. Wow. Wow. This was going to be like the recency illusion for me because I, I would have thought it was even more recent than any of those. Well, actually, well, let me just amend this. We One have of those dates is wrong. <laughs> we, we're wrong here. <laughs> and now we've just blown, we give you the answer right away. Because we made a mistake with one of the dates, and the dates should be, I'm going to answer it for us, for you, 1940s. Wow. Okay. I mean, still, that's, I would not have guessed it went that far back, just because I don't remember hearing it at all until, oh, I mean, at least being a teenager, if not, if not older than that. So I don't remember hearing it until, I mean, until the 1990s, for sure. Yeah, I don't really think I have heard it before the 80s or something, to be honest with you, myself. What about you, Ross? Well, I heard it back in 1942. <laughs> <laughs> Were you talking about that British newspaper, Ross? <laughs> That's exactly what I was talking about. Wings of War, the Air Force anthology, as a matter of fact. Yeah, apparently it was. it, it became, um, it, it stems back to the 1940s, to World War II. Wow. I am shocked. So just as a slangy term for something enormous or gigantic, right? Yep. Enormous wow. and gigantic. Yes, both. Both things. <laughs> clearly. <Whoa>. clearly. <laughs> yeah, that one shocked me. I, I, I thought that was totally a, um, a cutesy sort of, you know, I actually that to me, I thought was Valley Girlish. I thought that I thought it was 80s. I really did. And I thought it was I mean, I also thought it was disappearing and certainly not doing that either. No. Yeah, no, I never used it. Unless it was ironic. I wonder, it's not the kind of word that would show up in your engram or anything, really. No. I, I wonder, I wish we could measure the explosion of its usage because I, over the past couple of decades, it it's just, I, I, it must have exploded. I want to check. I'm going to try the I corpus. Ginormous. Wow. It explodes here. I have it on the engram, which is not good because. You know, a lot of words don't appear on it. I have it exploding in the 2000s. That feels much more right. Now, Engram just just um, searches through books, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem, I think, though, with something like ginormous is a lot of it is just speech. Exactly. And you're not going to get, I mean, for example, I'm looking at the Engram right now, and 1940 is just as flat as 1920 and 1960. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that necessarily means the word wasn't wasn't used. I Absolutely. think it means that it wasn't, that we're much more casual nowadays. So therefore, we're going to be writing not ginormous in a book, whereas we wouldn't have written it in 1940s or 1942. So I think that, I don't think the Engram is that valuable. But it does give us a hint that it probably did explode in the 2000s. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah, I didn't figure it was going to be super helpful, but but you know, seeing I mean that that feels more right, right? So is is that some kind of uh, some kind of bias that I have? Ginormous. I'm just looking at this. I don't have dates, but man, it's all over the web. Yeah. I'm just looking at this. Yeah, it's just like ginormous choppers, ginormous wheelchair. It's all sorts of ain't it cool. All TV tropes, Yelp.com, McSweeney's, it's it's BBC America. It's really heavily used online. It's interesting, though, in a, in a study I just looked at, 
of American slang, youth slang, humongous was the adjective of choice before ginormous. That's what they're I saying, use. That's what I use too. And they're saying here, ginormous exploded in 2003, which jibes with the Google engram in the movie Elf when Buddy played by there Will Ferrell. There it is. There's your answer. Ah, saw human toilets for the first that time. That is it. Yep. Interesting. That, that, is, that is your answer. Fascinating. It always fascinates me. Yeah. So, I'm... Uh, yeah, I gosh, I want to know. I want to know about its journey from 1942 to 2003. I want to know, did did Will Ferrell know that word and had he been using it in his life, or did he just toss it in because it sounded funny? I wonder. Uh, what I'm looking at right now is okay. The OED has the examples. You got 42 and 49. Then nothing. Then 1970, 1986, and 2015. So it looks like there was definitely a lull after World War II. Yeah. And yeah, that's what they're saying here, too. I just read something else saying British military slang during World War II, very limited in public usage until 2003. I'm so fascinated really by humongous now, too. Because humongous I is know. the one I remember. I never used ginormous, and I did always use humongous was what I remember. I'm going to plug humongous in Google Android. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Humongous skyrockets after 1980. Yeah. And now in the late 2000s, this only goes to 2019. It's now turning down. Oh, so really? Because it's, it's so ginormous, probably. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, exact, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that makes that makes sense. I mean, I would have, you know, in the 1980s, I would have been a kid. And, you know, in the 90s, I would have been a teenager. And that's when I was using that word a lot. That makes sense. Okay. I'm finding far fewer humongouses on the corpus of contemporary American uh, English than I am ginormouses now. Now, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Absolutely. And all, all those uh, fans of Elf were yelling at us this entire time because people seem to know that movie from back to front. Uh, I've only seen it once. But, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they, they they knew this entire time as we were as we – were, uh, flailing around trying to figure out where this word why this word exploded. be kind be yeah. kind yeah. <laughs> so now we've angered philadelphians and fans of the movie elf okay where can we go next yeah. let's go next to we're not going to have any but let's do the next one um this is one that ross wanted to put in i'm, I'm still not sure that we should have but the the verb to friend oh okay to friend uh-huh 1400s 1970s 1990s Right. I, I really did think it went way, way back. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have said 1400s, but I will now. <laughs> and rightly. <laughs> you know how we do this, don't you? <laughs> well, every now and then I know you're going to you're going to throw one out there at the very edges that is going to tempt me and I'm not going to get it right. But but I, this one I remember hearing at some point, of course, of course, you, you although 1990s doesn't sound right either. I would have put it like around the year 2000. But, uh, you know, that's the tempting thing is with mm. the the social sites like Friendster and and uh, MySpace. Ah, and Friendster. So mm. I forgot that. Uh, but I did but I, I had heard somewhere that it went way way back. You you've got it perfectly. I was going to say I didn't actually want to put this one in as a verb. I wanted to put the next one in as a verb. This one we had a little bit of a dust up for about. It's to unfriend as a verb. Oh. This is the one that's tricky. Is it mm -hmm. 1990s? 2010s or 1600s well this time well it can't be 
2010s, because even Facebook was ahead of the 2010s, 1600s, you know, I don't want to keep picking the earliest one, so I'll go with the 1990s. Okay, now we here we go into a, a little bit of a, here's Kathy and I talked about it. And we have, it's unfriend as a noun is everywhere, uh, you know, from the whatever, like 1600s, uh, 1659, you know, whatever. All the way back. 1275, 12, you said as 1425. A, it's all over the place. As a noun? The noun unfriend. Like so. A verb, Ross, oh, as a, a verb. verb. A verb. No, no, I'm talking about, no, no, no. The okay. noun is everywhere. So like to be an unfriend? To be an unfriend is, yes, is an enemy in effect. Ooh, wow. But the verb, Kathy and I both talked about it, and Kathy said it's only, she found it only as a noun, unfriend, not as a verb to unfriend as you do on Facebook. Mm -hmm. However, I did a lot of searching as Kathy was lecturing me on why I was wrong, and I found it, and I was very proud of myself. I found unfriend as a verb, and I thought I'm the first person to have done so. And then I found out a couple of other people have too, so I got <laughs> depressed a little bit. But it was, as a verb, Shakespeare used it uh -huh. to unfriend someone. I'm like, wait, I, I, say, Russ, I have right in front of me, I have unfriend in 1659 from Thomas Fuller. That was the one, you said that was the only, you said, and we talked about it, you said that's the only one I could find. Oh. So you said probably, you said that it was probably not generally used and i said well let's see if we can find one more and we we did i found we found um uh, william shakespeare using it as well so my guess would be that it probably was in general use to some degree. okay when or did shakespeare, shakespeare where, where is the shakespeare one can you read it to me because i don't see one hold up i think it's from um king lear yep 12th night and king lear i'm looking at the same article you are okay I found it. I mean, I was so proud. I looked it up on uh, on Google Books. That's when I found it. But um, I still think it's different. In King Lear, it says "unfriended, new adopted to our hate." I, I, I'm sorry. I don't see it uh, as as what we use as unfriend. It's along the same lines. I mean, it couldn't possibly be the same as what we use as unfriend because we're talking very specifically about mm -hmm. clicking that button on the social media site, but. Uh, making them not your friend anymore. Yeah. That's what that is, right? Well, he's saying he's unfriended. So that to me means I have no friends. I, 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 that isn't the act of making somebody not your friend. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's in this sense, it's a passive sense. That's what I'm saying. Same thing with Fuller. This is why I was again. This is why I don't think it's at all our, it, it, it's a state. But okay, on Facebook, after this talk, I will be, you will be unfriended by me. Okay. That is, it's, it, it's, it's a passive use, but it's still, it's a passive Wait, use, but it still has the verb in it. I want to hear why it's different. Uh, to me, okay. When, how we use it, unfriend, you're dumping your friend. You're saying, I am making you not my friend. In this passive sense, you're saying, I, I have no friends. I have, I am, I've, I've lost my friends. I am unfriended. I don't know how to explain but, it. But I, uh, to I, me, I, it's different. I used, I used to have friends, and they are they they are no longer my friends. They have decided they're not my friends anymore, right? But they didn't unfriend me. I am unfriended. Is how I feel. I don't I, know. So I am, it's I am without friends. But it said it says new to our hate, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that that sounds like something. It's something that's happened to 
Yes, right? I agree with you, Fletcher. I okay, I disagree. I'm on and sending I think Kathy is, <laughs> We're going to unfriend you, Kathy, on our little podcast. Right now. Well, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I have booze. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the ver- the noun form because I've never heard anyone refer to anybody as an unfriend. I yeah. love unfriend. I kind of like it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better than frenemy. You know what I mean? Unfriend. He's un- my unfriend. Yeah. That sort of stopped in the 1800s. Well, it actually apparently went down in use, and then uh, Sir Walter Scott re-picked it up back in the 1800s, and then it disappeared again. So it's kind of like a sine wave. Okay, next, the word is, this fascinated me, legit, as in, yeah, that's really legit. The 60s, the 20s, or the 1890s? The 20s. No. Ah. (laughs) This is another of the ones that's older than you thought. All the way back to the 1890s. Okay. But not really, actually. The 1891, it was it started with the legitimate drama. It was like the, the in, in in the theater, mm-hmm. you would say that's legit drama. So it became legit. In fairness, how we use it now really started in the 20s from that legit back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, actually, when I look at it, you're kind of right. So what, what's the context in the 20s? In the 20s, it was like, you're, you, if you were legit, you were being honest. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah, okay. you're being legit. Mm-hmm. Which is really what it is. Yeah. Okay, I think we only have time for one more. So let's do this. Okay, it is a word that we all know, that we all love. Truthiness. <laughs> okay, now, as far as I know, truthiness came about from Stephen Colbert. Okay, now I'm going to read you a sentence and you're going to tell me when this sentence was written. <laughs> <laughs> Truthiness is a habit like every other virtue. Oh, wow. But that can't mean the same thing. Not That can't mean what, what Colbert meant, uh, used it to mean. Now we're getting into something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're correct. This comes from 1832. Yeah, I was going to say that could go back who knows how far because I don't believe it means the same thing. I think, though, the truthiness here is kind of like a it, it's not Colbert's is, uh, you know, kind of ironic or sort of sardonic, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think truthiness in this case is is not. What do you guys think? I totally agree. And this is another one like to unfriend. <laughs> I, I oh, oh you brought that back up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think that that because this truthiness means truthfulness. Right. And yeah. the Colbert one has that it's an ironic twist on it. It's 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 there's something different. It's not mm-hmm. it's not straight. Right. If you will. Yeah. I, I think his truthiness might have a kernel of truth, but in the broad sense, it's it's a lie. Right. So in this case, the correct answer really is 2000s. Yeah. The word was around, but it's really not the it's not the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 order of letters existed and it referred to a thing relating to truth, but not nearly in the way we use yeah. it now. Miriam Webster did a nice um, I really like their definition, which it says uh, it refers to the quality of seeming to be true, but not necessarily or actually true, according to known facts. Yeah. And that's a a Mm -hmm. huge distinction. Yeah. I mean, very much so. It's almost the opposite. It is it is a thing that is by and large not true there. Like I said, I'm, I'm guessing there could be a kernel of truth in there. That's often how people lie. 
but mm-hmm. by and large, this is a thing that is not actually true, even if it seems like it could be. Whereas truthiness that you were talking about is, as you said, truth-telling or being truthful. Right. So the, basically the sentence would have been more useful for, you know, for arguing the 1830s if it had been written as truthiness is a habit like every other vice. Right. That hey, oh, no, that's it. good. I like it. <laughs> that's clever, Ross. You should write. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. You're Saying It Wrong is a worldwide affair. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Granada, Spain. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario in Canada. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or better yet, a review on your podcast platform of choice. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And don't forget they have a new book out, A History of the World Through Body Parts. The stories behind the organs, appendages, digits, and the like attached to or detached from famous bodies. You can find that pretty much anywhere you get books as well. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.